Lucy, you better bring Agent Cooper up to date. Leo Johnson was shot. Jacques Renault was strangled. The mill burned. Shelly and Pete got smoke inhalation. Catherine and Josie are missing. Nadine is in a coma from taking sleeping pills. How long have I been out? It's 7.45 in the morning. We haven't had this much action in one night since the Elks Club fire of 59. Harry. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Podcast Network. I'm Chris Ramo. <laughs> I'm Jake Rodkin. Out of touch there on the, on the old know. intro. Yeah. Uh, sorry we missed last week. There was some just life scheduling stuff but we are back and we're ready to talk about episode nine aka episode eight aka episode one of season two of twin peaks known as oh known as may the giants be with you the worst episode title for maybe the best episode so far yep uh this episode was well the story is credited to mark frost and david lynch Mark Frost wrote the actual screenplay for it. David Lynch directed it. It aired September 30th of 1990, which is kind of crazy because season one ended May 23rd. That's not a very big jump. Also, um, I don't know if we want to talk about this later or not, but this episode is apparently notorious for being like the home of the Twin Peaks viewership drop or like one of the the first sort of places where the audience started to go down. And people credit it in part, I think, to the opening just being the most drawn out, un... It's, uh, it's totally inaccessible. Inaccessible, yeah. insane thing. And I was just looking at the um, at the numbers. The season finale, um, like which is five months earlier, got had 18.7 million. This episode had 19.1 million. And then episode two, it dropped to 14.4 million, which is a big drop. And it never recovers, it looks like. That's a big drop, but also... The episode right before the season finale of season one only had 15 and a half million. So it feels like yeah, it's not bad. the reality is closer to there was a huge feverish spike when people thought the killer was going to be revealed. Right. And then when it wasn't, it kind right. of fell yeah, off. Yeah, and then yeah. people went, oh, sorry, this is what Twin Peaks is. It's a guy yeah. laying on the floor right. for what yeah. seems like 20 minutes, but it's actually like <laughs> yes. four minutes, which well, is still coming forever. back to that scene. Though. Yeah. That <gasps> scene is intercut throughout a lot of the early yeah. Anyways, of the episode. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead of everything. No, cause... that's okay. This This episode, I think is maybe the best example yet of the collaboration between Frost and Lynch. Yes. I think, um, do we knowing want, that, sorry, go ahead. Oh, do you want to run down oh, what, yeah, what sorry, happens? Good, Let's good just, point. yeah. So it's been a minute. So we should, a just, lot, a lot happens in this episode and there's no way this is, this might be a scattershot episode and I apologize for that. But, um, a lot goes on in, in some of the major events, um, are that agent Cooper recovers, uh, after a strange encounter that follows his strange encounter. Um, Seemingly everyone important in town is in the hospital. Uh, Leland bounces back more outrageously than ever. Major Briggs has a moment with his son, Bobby. The timeline of the night of the crime further solidifies and Audrey's situation deteriorates even more. Also, this episode fulfilled my wish from the previous episode where I said the best Twin Peaks uh, rewatch podcast synopsis ever would be to just have the actress who plays Lucy tell you exactly what happens. Oh, yeah. And Which happens. At the 60-minute mark or so of this 90-minute episode, yeah. Cooper wakes up and Lucy just says... Yep. I mean, she doesn't know what's happening with Audrey, and she doesn't know some of the other stuff, but she just, like, 
She just rolls off in terms of the core investigation. Yeah, and yeah. that was so good because the actress delivers it in the exact way that she recites the invitation to love right. recap in like the third yep. episode of yep. the first season. So good. Oh, anyway, uh, you were saying this episode is good. Yeah, no, I think this is. I think this episode points to what is so great about Lynch and uh, and Frost's collaboration. The fact that it was directed by by Lynch and the screenplay written by Frost. Um, is really notable, I think, because so much there are a lot of moments of really of dialogue that is either very conventional or kind of very memorable in a way that Lynch alone doesn't usually write. And I'm thinking most significantly of the scene with uh, Briggs and Bobby. Yeah, um, that has this like weird kind of surreal tint to it because it's a description of a dream that you can associate with Lynch's work, but I think it is very heart on its sleeve in a, in a, in a, in a yep. guileless way. You know, it is a purely a moment of connection yep. between a but father and a son. It still comes through the lens of David Lynch where everyone's reactions, like where Bobby's response is like, you can feel that he's moved by it, but at the same time, it's also weirdly just pushed 10% more than it, than it actually probably needs to be as far that as just like, also be the actor. Though. <laughs> I know, but whatever happened yeah, with that, I imagine yeah. David Lynch just went, that's what I wanted to get. Yeah, and then sure. like, stop, yeah. no, stop no, filming. Yep, yep, yep. Um, uh, and I, and, yeah, and, and it's also probably that. Meanwhile, this episode also has some of the absolute most abstract Lynchian touches in the series yet, certainly including the way it opens. I mean, even the, the way it opens before you even get to Cooper's hotel room, the, um, as I recall, the main, so, we watched this a week ago because we were planning on recording a week ago and we didn't. So I, oh, yeah, I just wrote fuzzier. intro is super long is my only note yeah, for that. A, so it was a, well, there are two things. One, there, it was a really long uh, cut of the uh, title music for mm-hmm. one thing, but also it crossfades into a loud white noise. Oh the, yeah. The intro music doesn't end. It just crossfades out into like into this big kind of consuming a uh, wall of sound and that that is a very lynch move he does that in various films he's done it in twin peaks before the show's also used the waterfall outside of the great northern to convey that effect it also had that crazy sort of like heartbeat white noise when jacoby was mm-hmm. shot um anyway i don't know i don't remember that i don't remember the sound that it actually plays yeah it's it's just a big kind of synth white noise and uh i think lynch generally loves this but it, it also is a that combined with the really long mm-hmm. theme music already kind of it's easing you into this incredibly drawn out thing yep. that you that you referred to with Cooper who's lying on his floor, who he is himself slowly actually bleeding out basically. Yep. Um, <laughs> as he, Oh, it's so good. It's so good. What a strange scene. So he is, I love it. He's lying there on the ground as Andy is screaming through the, the telephone receiver at yep. him. And then oh, man. this old room service guy shows up. How are you doing down there? Warm milk. And there's just this whole. What do you even? How do you even describe this scene? It feels. It feels like the sort of thing that would... then hangs up on Andy. Oh yeah, he says, "I hung it up for you." Yeah, or something like that. because yeah. uh, <laughs> he just keeps looking kind of confused at this voice saying, "Agent Cooper, Agent Cooper." <laughs> And then just clearly does not like that that is happening and just puts the phone back on the receiver slowly. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like it's so ridiculous. Like, yeah. it's also like you're just 
you watching it are furious because Cooper's laying there bleeding out and this man is being the slowest man in the world. And like, you know, there's frustration and anticipation and stuff, but it's also just completely outrageous. Like every single thing that's happening in that, like Cooper is clearly frustrated for a second. And then I really like that he just, because he's Cooper and just the way that they played it, he makes peace with the situation. It's just like, okay, this is the reality that I'm in. I'm dying. This old man is here. I'll accept his warm milk. I will thank him when he just puts things on my prone body on the floor. Right. <laughs> I'll fail to tip him or whatever happens in the in the thing yeah. and like indulges him. Like the ultimate thing at the end of that is when he says, I've heard about you, and gives a thumbs up, leaves, comes back 10 seconds later because he didn't get the thumbs up. Right. So and I'm then Cooper good. finally goes, oh. Well, Cooper gives him the thumbs up, but then the guy comes back a third time. And, and just Cooper, gives him one more, and right? Gives him another thumbs up. But Cooper, Cooper at that point raises his index finger, I believe, right. instead of giving. I think that's just up. like enough. It's just like this is. We are done now. <laughs> we are done. But the whole structure of it feels like the sort of thing that would be in like a '90s sort of super alternative sketch comedy show or something. It feels like the sort of thing that you would see inside of like yeah, like Mr. Show, or Mr. Something. Show, or Kids in the Hall, or like yeah. some British TV shows that are of that style. Like it just yeah. feels like okay, we're just going to put you in the most absurdist situation in the world. A police officer has been shot, and then the only help that he has is this doddering old room service man. Right. Let's see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, people on the forums, I think, said that the pitch of the weird room service man was a thing that Lynch and Frost had sort of been banding about as a concept. Oh, interesting. Or like it had come up as a thing that they enjoyed. And then this, it feels like to me, like they went, this is the perfect fit. This is the perfect place. <laughs> to and in a lot of ways it is right. If you yeah. had this, this, the cultural like groundswell behind you that twin peaks season one had, and it ends with Cooper being shot and you're David Lynch and Mark Frost. Of course you're like, okay, what we're going to open our show with now that everyone is stoked right. is just, the thing that we want to do the most. Yeah. We want to have this weird old man so, <laughs> offering milk to this guy on the ground. So what do you think? Okay. Twin Peaks is a show that has a lot of, well, well when I say a lot, maybe less than it gets credit for, but a fair amount of surreal imagery and supernatural occurrences and so on. But I feel like generally speaking, things that are weird that happen happen either because they're weird because a character is quirky mm-hmm. or because they happen in something that is clearly delineated as a dream state or mm-hmm. some kind of other reality or something. This scene I think is unique so far. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but it feels unique so far in the series up to this point in that it is a completely baffling, fairly unexplainable event that seems to be happening 100% in the real world, not as part of the show's supernatural yep. bent and not the closest thing is when Leland is crying and the coffin is just going up and down for a solid 40 seconds for no yeah, reason. But I still totally buy that as just something went wrong. Yeah, I know, but you they're know? like this crazy. Blah, like they're, yeah. you know, like it's crazy, but it's slapstick crazy. You yeah, know? No, it's, it's crazy in a way that like sometimes crazy things happen. Whereas the thing with the, the room service guy, <laughs> what a, I love it. It's great. But like, what am I supposed to take from this? You know, I don't know really. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the, the thing that I like about it as just like a Twin Peaks thing is that Cooper is presented with something that like, it is like unflappable Cooper at like the most exponentially pumped unflappable that has ever happened where he's, he's shot and bleeding out and the most 
horrible thing that could ever be happening is happening, but he just rolls with it. And that's part of what makes it weird. Like if he had said fucking leave, right. uh, the scene probably would have played differently. Well, right. But I, but as you pointed out, I think it, I'm really, really glad that he at least starts off by being clearly frustrated about yes. this and trying to get this guy to call the doctor, do something. Yep. And it's only when he realizes that he can't get through that he falls that back like, on sort okay. of decorum, I guess. Yep. Um, I also think that the scene is interesting in terms of this. If, if this entire opening scene is emblematic of Twin Peaks, that might also be correct because you're watching a doddering old man do what seems like nothing and you're frustrated and then you eventually go with it. And then when the old man leaves, the lighting changes and a crazy giant comes right. in and then just says, go, I will yes. tell you what is happening. And then you're we, like, oh, okay. then we transition directly into uh, into what I was saying earlier. Right. Which is the more typical kind of super like right. odd event of Twin Peaks, which is very clearly delineated. But as this is obviously as sort of surreal waiting and being anxious and frustrated and tension building, but there being humor inside of that. And then sort of the release being crazy unexpected development yeah like i like that the episode opens with that just in general as its first scene like i think it's it's different than what they've done before but it also i don't know it a lot of this episode actually kind of feels like that keeps mm -hmm. happening where sure. it just you watch a bunch of stuff you know there's just a lot of sort of boiling and simmering and then just huge things pop up and i, mm -hmm. I mean i guess that's how a lot of things are structured but like the willingness to just hold inside of an ambiguous space for a long time, but then also still making sure that it pays off some, in some way. Like that, mm -hmm. the thing that I was thinking about often when I was watching this episode, because I know season two is when the audience started getting really frustrated and you started losing people. I, I had forgotten, like I'd been, we'd been sort of inundated with that by readers, like people in ambient or listeners in the, in the conversation, just ambient, like, Oh, get ready for season two. It's the one that lost all the people. The audience went away, blah, blah, blah. Watching this episode, I was actually shocked how readily it was dispensing humongous pieces of information and how much it was totally oh, yeah. moving the characters forward, moving the plot forward. Like this episode, so much happens. It has, it has these like protracted moments of frustration or of just complete, inscrutability like but then it just drops so much stuff like to you know you jump to the end when cooper's back and he's he's up and he like oh man um it's again sort of both the, the combination of incredible frustration and incredible uh information no I've got to, i'm gonna try to find the quote if i can i i might not be able to find it what do you, what is the it's when it's when cooper basically just is outlining the state of the case and how bleak it is and it is incredibly bleak because basically everyone involved in it is dead but at the same time the fact that you know all that information is huge um it's not it's not a really notable quote except for what he says about waldo which i really really like oh he just says um laura palmer is dead jock renault is mm. dead renette pulaski and leo, leo johnson are in comas Waldo is dead. Yeah. <laughs> this leaves only a third man. And it's like, right. Yep. Having that this encapsulation, a lot of that. Yeah. But yeah. like just being able to just even be as an audience that far into the story where you have that much information, it's bleak. And like, that was a million dead ends. Yeah. But we're clearly funneling towards, but it's point. like, yeah, Cooper runs down every lead and is like, yeah. these have gone to pot in a terrible way, mm -hmm. but we know this one thing. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know. It's mm -hmm. totally, it, it was, it was, like, on that on that note, uh, the whole thing with the giant from the sort of 
from the dream mm-hmm. in his room, he starts off, not just starts off, but continues with, as we're sort of accustomed to with these kinds of scenes in this show, very cryptic clues that he gives. Uh, oh, it's also, sorry, I, the lighting in the room when the giant shows up is obviously identical to the lighting that shows up when Cooper has his dream inside mm-hmm. of the lodge. Yeah. Even though he doesn't get transported in this right. place, this being that shows up, it's implied really heavily is from the same space. Yes, for sure. Um, um, sorry. So he says, I'll tell you three things. If I tell you and they come true, will you believe me? And then he lists all these things. There's a man in a smiling bag. They all turn out what they seem. You know, uh, gi- oh, man. He says, give me your ring. I will turn it to you when you find these things to be true. And there's this amazing shot of the giant bending down to take the ring and it's yeah. from cooper's perspective yeah that is an amazing shot yeah, that is not good. the type you would see it on television of that era i don't yep. think no it's a very filmic shot it's really cool um and so anyway the reason i'm saying all this is because then he he says we want to help you one last thing leo locked inside a hungry horse there's a clue at leo's house yeah and it's just the most <laughs> there's a clue at leo anyway there's a clue at leo's house go there and look for i know it's the most undisguised. I like that though, because the giant yeah, has too. been saying all of this ridiculous, ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's like bad. Like it coming in a dream makes it makes it good. And like you, everyone, like as usual, because Cooper rolls with it, you as the audience feel a little bit more okay to roll with it. But it's like, like if that list of clues was presented in like the Goonies, <laughs> it would. Even in that context, the characters of that film would make snarky remarks about how ridiculous right. the, the puzzle yeah, yeah, yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Twin Peaks, Cooper kind of just goes, a smiling bag. And he's like just <laughs> yeah. so ensorcelled well, by that, it. That, and then the you know, giant ends with, you will require medical attention. I know, yeah. The last two things, there's a clue at Leo's house, you'll require medical attention. Yeah. Fade out. Yep. <laughs> um, after this happens, Cooper then gives this whole report to Diane, hoping that his... A recorder oh, yeah, is on voice activation, which it apparently is because we see it recording as he's talking. Yes. Which makes me wonder if it also heard everything else with the the with room the, service guy and the giant. And the giant. I don't know. Because well, his what ring is, is gone. Yeah, his ring is gone. Exactly. Yeah, because we know that it has voice recorded mode because he uses that to record Waldo being murdered. Mm-hmm. So apparently. But they also cut to it in this actual scene showing right, yeah, that yeah, it's yeah, recording. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is totally goofy. So we learn that he was wearing his bulletproof vest and <laughs> is not as, you know, wounded as he would otherwise have been although it's obviously bad um there's a he goes on this whole thing this whole jag about his sort of regrets and things he would have liked to do and he says i would in general like to treat people with much more care and respect um i wish i could have cracked the cracked the Lindbergh kidnapping case yep um i would very much like to make love to a beautiful woman who i'm who i have genuine affection for and it goes without saying i would like to visit tibet i wish they could get their country back and the dalai lama could return i would like that very much he lists all these things, and it's, it's. I think it's really interesting that he says, I would like in general to treat people with much more care and respect, because he's sort of, more than almost anyone else in the show, obsessed with already doing that. That's also the really sort of any... person who would say that as a goal anyway, though. That's, like, that's if, you're, if you're already so incredibly conscious about it, you're probably always striving to be better at that. That's Whereas, true. you know, I mean, I guess the other person is the regretful asshole, but it's probably not what you think when you're being shot. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's true. Um, I don't have too much to say about that stuff, really, otherwise. But um, no. Oh, and then obviously that ends, he lists out all the things he wish he could do, and then just the sheriff's department basically kicks the door down. Right, yes. Yes, yeah. they do. Um, so in between some of those things, uh, we're up at One-Eyed Jack's. Um, there's a, a scene with Blackie and Jerry that is sort of suggests something about the relationship between the horns 
and Blackie that I don't think we've seen before. Whereas those are the first time we see her not really in control. Right. It's it's starting to enforce way more acutely that the horns own one-eyed jacks and that they're right. entirely like Blackie's boss. Everyone there is under their thumb. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they they're Jerry, I guess, is withholding drugs yeah. what cocaine i yeah because you from her, yeah heroin i don't know but you, you've heroin seen because you've seen yeah. like ben sort of relishing that he has his run of the place but you now we see jerry's side of it which is more like keeping yeah just keeping everyone under his heel mm-hmm. and then uh, and then we see more of this like ridiculous ben and audrey thing where she she's kind of coyly toying with him she's like smacking him away to try to keep him away yeah uh it's it's really gross. <laughs> yeah, it is so gross. She says, but oh, go all away, I'm shy. Is, all then... this stuff is genuinely gross. Like, even just oh, yeah. Jerry just being at a jacks. complete yeah. ass to Blackie, mm-hmm. like, just so demeaning, was was already terrible. And then it cuts to Ben trying to sleep with his daughter. Right. And he it, it ends with, I like you. You know how to interest a man. Which yep. is just, Ugh. Yep. So that happens. Um, at that point... Um, he Why does he get called away? I don't actually remember. I can't remember either off the top of my head. Oh, good. Yeah. Last week in our memories, we knew that. Uh. I know. <laughs> um so we we uh at the after Cooper is kind of recovered, uh we see him in and in, in the hospital and there's this whole thing where the bullet killed a little tick. Oh yeah, cuz he he vest. had his vest up cuz he was itching a wood tick apparently, but then Doc's like, "Oh, that explains this." And the wood tick was killed. Yep. Yeah. Uh and we get the we get the the uh Recap that you referred to from Lucy. Yes. Which, you know, Leo was shot, Renault strangled, Mill burned, uh, smoke inhalation thing, Josie's missing, Nadine's in a coma for sleeping pills. Uh, and Cooper's like, how long have I been out? It's been, what, one night? Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's essentially like a season finale recap, right? I mean, Yeah, I mean, that like, also, like, we've talked about that before, too, how this show goes out of its way in, to do inline recaps of stories. But this episode... That one felt like the really self-conscious, cheeky one, and the one at the end felt like the really sort of right. satisfying, yes, like definitely. And uh-huh. let's like let's move forward. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we this is when we start seeing that it's basically everyone's in the hospital because we also see Shelly. We 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 know that sh- now that Shelly's in the hospital and because she was tied up in the mill and had smoke inhalation, mm-hmm. issues, and then right? Renat Pulaski is still in the hospital, uh, and we get a flash sort of from start- her back. Oh, right, because she's she- sort of starting to stir and yes, wake up potentially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So. Uh, Next up, there's Maddie at home with uh, Sarah, and Maddie is talking about this strange dream she had about the rug. Oh, Cooper which... also sees the. Um, oh no, he Jacques' body bag goes by, and Cooper asks if it's smiling, but it's it's just yeah, he's just yeah, curious. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. you're right. Anyway, um, Sarah is kind of triggered by the stuff Maddie's talking about with the with the dream, or sort of acts as though she recognizes something, uh, and then Leland comes in, and this is his weird rebirth state yep. with white hair singing this song little lambs eat ivy which i'd never heard before the first time i saw twin peaks the series um i you know leland throughout this whole episode keeps singing this this song uh and i had i didn't know it was a real thing and i remember at one point i looked it up on the internet and i found that it's you know some just kind this of an old time song old right? kind of yeah. folk song thing and i was totally shocked and i remember i was watching um an episode of Twin Peaks at Steve, our friend Steve Gander's house. And I, I was like, Oh guys, did you know, this is a real song. This is like an actual thing. It's not just from this show. And they're like, yeah, everyone knows that it's just a song. It's just a thing that exists. 
I think it's one of those things that you either just know or you don't yeah, know because sure. obviously the Mares Eat Oats song is not <laughs> yeah. uh, in the in the cultural zeitgeist. It is now. It it is now. The thanks. number of people who probably additionally know it. Oh yeah, thanks it's, to Twin it's Peaks, gone up thanks sure to yeah. crazy then, exuberant Leland. Yeah, and 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 uh, this whole thing, that whole scene reminds me that basically any time we ever are at the Palmer household, just prepare for a disaster. <laughs> There's no point yeah, that, we, that this show is ever going to like put a camera inside that set and not just show us something it's completely so stressful and like, awful. Sarah has her completely bonkers vision in the very first episode. Then we get like the record player with the broken uh, picture of Laura or in this case, yeah, it's... Leland having his crazy dance, which totally unnerves everyone, oh, obviously. Yeah. And then Maddie has another vision, I think, right? Where she sees the weird stain on the carpet in the same place as her dream and totally mm-hmm, loses yeah. her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she doesn't totally lose her mind, but she's like... Yeah, she's freaked out. Yeah, she's very freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. There's another kind of low drone noise in the background as Leland comes in singing that song. Because if someone's singing a happy song and David Lynch yeah, is directing it, you better it also have the creepy... incredibly sinister. <laughs> yep. yeah. uh, so we, we, we continue with this Leland thing as he... Uh, oh, that's right. He just busts in on the horns the of the Great Northern, Northern yeah. saying just like, I'm back, I'm back, back, and ready. back and ready. And they start dancing around like with him, like on yep. the table and stuff. Yeah. Oh, and then in classic cinematic transition, that scene ends with a full screen pop of a of a news reporter or what seems like a news reporter flash, but it's in the crime scene. Right. Uh, because like, you know, they have that whole song and dance number and it's getting all like entertainment stuff. Like, right. I don't know that, that yeah. camera pop at the yep. end of it is just perfect. Classic Hollywood. Per- yeah, yeah. Perfect punctuation, which then turns out to be, um, yeah. Crime scene photography. Yeah, man. I, I guess I say this every week at this point, every week that at least is a, a, pr- a pretty sturdy episode, but I, I forget how much just, mystery and procedural and investigation stuff is in this show and i also just always forget how consistently like this thrilling it is on its on its own mm-hmm. and aside from all the weird stuff like because totally. the flash photo is actually because the police department is investigating Leo. uh, leo's apartment yes. um oh no leo's house excuse me yeah leo leo and Shelley's gross house um and that's when they find out that the bullet came from outside mm-hmm. um and that leo was shot not from someone inside of the house and that it was weird that he had he had an axe, right? Or the axe was found. But I love when, or that when he was chopping wood. Yeah, he was yeah. chopping. Or someone else says that. Yeah. That's uh, what's his what's his bucket? Jesus, I forgot. Oh, that was name. way later in the episode. Sorry, that was Hank. Yeah, Hank says he was that's chopping wood. T- yeah, like, that's totally different. Like, it's Leo. Yeah. Who knows what he's yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I loved that. Um, the sheriff mentions Shelley, and then they're like, "Oh, maybe a bullet came from outside." Oh, from Shelley, and then Cooper's just like, "Sheriff, get your mind off Shelley," and then they just keep moving <laughs> on. But it's just like, yeah. Because in a lot of other procedural shows or like serial drama shows like this, that would actually just be a stupid story thread where that guy's just convinced that it's right. Shelly and that he's riding Cooper's ass about it or whatever. But Cooper just been like, Sheriff, get your mind off Shelly. And then they just immediately move on to the next yeah. to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they get a flesh world and then. I think it's Truman's just like, what issue is this? Like, he, I think he says the line with like the wrong yeah. intonation or something, but it implies that he's like, he's like a, a flesh world. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's collecting flesh worlds. Yeah. But um, anyway, whatever. This is, this is also the scene where Albert arrives and uh, God. Oh, right. He, there's a weird thing where um, 
where Andy is like, Harry, do you know who it is? Harry, do you know who it is? Harry, do you know who it is? Like, he's obs- he's like has Tourette's or something. He can't stop. It seems like he's both excited and afraid of I know, Albert. Yeah, exactly. He's just worked up into a state. And then he, like, does this total Looney Tunes move of <laughs> smacking him in the head board? with like, a two-by-four on a pivot point. And then he does that weird, it's like, crab walks. Stuttering walk dance for, like, yeah. the rest of the scene. It, they hang on that for so long. I, they probably it's hung like a full it, minute. They must have hung on it just because that actor did such a hilarious yeah, job yeah. with that move. Because, like... And they just I, cut to people looking at him, and he just cut back to him doing it more. It's so weird. I, I, like, I don't know enough about how David Lynch actually operates, but it's the impression that I got from that, again, is that like he saw him doing that dance, and just from behind his camera, just smiles, keeps it rolling, and is just like, this is exactly the thing that I desire to <laughs> yeah. happen. Like, just yeah. don't, if I don't tell him to stop, maybe he won't stop. Okay, now let's get coverage of people watching that happen. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not how it works, Probably, but like, that's, yeah. it just it seems like... Um, a, you can't direct that and pr- practice it like and then he does a crazy he's like i want to see the script to see if it says he does a weird dance on the like <laughs> yeah because <laughs> uh, yeah no it's ridiculous who writes and conceives of that anyway he uh, inadvertently uncovers boots and cocaine yeah oh but when the two by four hits him in the head it confirms everything that albert has ever thought about oh yeah, the sure. Sheriff's yeah. Department. Yes. <laughs> yeah he even says it's another great moment in law enforcement history yep. yeah he loves it um so uh moving Harry, on. you know who it is so weird yeah i know oh also <laughs> if this is dumb and they don't talk about it obviously they don't talk about it because they don't know about it but leo says to shelly like five episodes earlier leo needs a new pair of shoes <laughs> <laughs> and i thought it was an idiom but in here along with the cocaine is a new pair of shoes <laughs> i suspect it was both i suspect it was both i, know. I suspect the idiom one was was the was the I know it's so that funny that they made Leo have weird a pair of shoes. Like, I guess that's important. I mean, I, 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 I can only assume that's what this is. Yeah, because yeah. it's not like he's hiding them as evidence. It feels like it's just like his stash it's of just, stuff. Right, it's the stuff they got. Like he came home and was like, yeah. "I got my new shoes and I got my new Coke drop and put them here." <laughs> like, oh man, it killed me that there were new shoes in there. It didn't even occur to me. God, Leo needs a new pair of shoes. Clock wipe. Got him. <laughs> Um, so at the double R, uh, Hank is, is there and Maddie is waiting in Laura's sunglasses for, for Donna. Yeah. When, who then puts them on when she arrives and then Maddie destroys her own glasses, which is a bummer. Cause I really, I like her weird old lady glasses. Yep. Uh, they, they always struck me as a really kind of transparent prop to just severely distinguish her visually from yep. Laura who would never wear something that kind of quaint. Uh, and those they always really crack me yep. up. I can't remember where that is going. Like, is is that supposed to be Maddie is like on the path to sort of like merge back into like is she becoming more yeah, Laura ish? Because Donna she, putting on the sunglasses is definitely yeah. Donna like at least think, kind of trying Laura's yeah, identity I, on. I think they're both kind of sort of getting drawn into but that then orbit i also just wondered if it was that david right? lynch thought those glasses were bullshit because he probably wasn't involved in many of the episodes after she shows up the last one he directed was three and i wondered if that was him just being like no these are not in the show anymore <laughs> which this is a that's probably not what happened i imagine that's not what happened but i remember um there was a game we were working on that was a multi <clears throat> when we were working on the game tales of monkey island there was this stupid pirate parrot that only says one line like it's a pirate game and there's this animal in there mm-hmm. and 
Sean, who, as you know, uh, our coworker wrote that episode or wrote some episodes on that. He got his episode was, was the third episode and he had hated the parrot the entire time. So he just had the character throw it overboard and say, it's lost. It's gone forever. Um, and people who are playing the game have no idea that the only reason that that was thrown out of the scene is because the writer absolutely couldn't stand that it was there. <laughs> right. But when she broke those glasses, that's all that I could think about. All I could think about was, <laughs> was someone involved being like, these yeah. are stupid. Yeah. But I, I'm sure that it's actually... I mean, it doesn't matter because it works either way, right? Well, it's weird if it works the way that David Lynch no, thought they mean, were dumb. Right. No, no, no. It, it well, can, I just mean... It can just be a, a random character thing or it yeah. can actually be... Like when I she doesn't buy, have the glasses the on, yeah, she, yeah. yeah, her just being sick of it. But then also, it does just obviously make her look more like Laura Palmer at a right. glance than it ever sure. has. Um, yes. So anyway, they discuss uh, Doctor Jacoby and James, and then uh, Donna gets an envelope from Norma with the note "Look into the Meals on Wheels," uh, and then we get a cut to the log lady watching, who then spits out her gum or her. She spits out her gum to sip a huge thing of coffee, and then she puts the gum back in her mouth. Yeah, just. Got to get the log lady in for a second. Maybe I guess. it's tree sap. Is I just thought thing? it was Don't gum. Do that? I Maybe. thought it was gum too, but it just occurred to me. Don't people? Aren't there people who chew on tree sap? Let's just say that it's gum. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, so um, we cut to Albert inspecting Cooper's wounds uh, yep. after being sent by Gordon Cole. Um, he sort of recounts all these details about the shooting that aren't aren't really that important, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't have that much to say about this scene, really. Uh, Andy, though, offers an answer to one of the Giants' clues. He says that Leo Johnson was locked in a jail in Hungry Horse, Montana in 1988. Man, um, I've been to Hungry Horse, Montana. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I've only just driven through it on the way to Glacier National Park because it's, yeah. it's right right by there. And my only member of, memory of Hungry Horse, Montana is that it is, one, incredibly small. Okay, I'm not surprised by that. Two, at least when I was there, it was really kind of decrepit. But that was reinforced by apparently the mascot of Hungry Horse is just a cartoon drawing of a horse that is starved down to its rib cage and has flies coming by. <laughs> and sort of its midsection is saggy. Oh so like God. where it's like Hungry Horse Gas, the Hungry Horse Diner. They all just have this cartoon <laughs> of like a horse that's starved to within an inch of its life. Symbol. It's so strange. Oh, man. That seems really up David Lynch's yeah. alley. I'm sure he really enjoyed that. I think, yeah, it, I'm... I'm sure for all of our listeners in Hungry Horse who love that it's mentioned in Twin Peaks, there's a vibrant and thriving community there. But man, the impression when you drive through it, especially in the off season, woof. (laughs) It's the exact place Leo Johnson would be locked in jail. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But doesn't, isn't Hungry Horse and, oh no, right. They, they get excited about the news about the Hungry Horse thing because it means that he, uh, cannot be involved. Right. It's his alibi for the Teresa Banks. Yeah, for the Teresa Banks killing. Right. Exactly. It means that, um, that I, you know, yeah. I think by this point, like most people got a general sense that Leo Johnson is right. involved, but not the linchpin of the I was just thing. excited because Cooper and Albert both went, oh, Teresa Banks. Like, I right. love, it's yeah, so yeah, cheesy right. and just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. liking the mystery, but I love how sort of wide reaching, even just the sort of surface level, is this a serial killer storyline yeah, no, no, goes? Totally. Yep. And we, just like, we don't get a lot of callbacks to the notion that this is. The reason Cooper is involved in this at all right. is because it's it's connected to a broader investigation. And Albert's involved, apparently, we find out here, because he is out of the Seattle office. Right. So he obviously has experience with the Teresa Banks thing. But just that moment, those guys' instant recall of that is one of those things that I really like about this aspect of the story, which is just people who are good at their job doing their job well. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys just immediately being like, yeah. without 
thinking about it or consulting anything like okay that rules out leo's alibi in the right. Teresa banks killing therefore he's probably not the killer right like next yep totally um so we get this we get this sort of little weird isolated scene that doesn't connect to anything else in this episode which is mike, oh, mike? Show, yeah showing up at the uh the sheriff's department i and, loved that scene just because of how it came out of nowhere yeah. it went nowhere it was weirdly unsettling, despite how mm-hmm. innocuous the yes. con- conversation exactly. was. Well, because you because you, it's so clear, Mike is withholding something, right? But it, but it it feels very similar to his previous conversation with ended, which ended with him saying "mom" about the tattoo. Right. Whereas this yeah, one ended with it, yeah. with just uh, he was going to sell the, the sheriff some shoes. He's a shoe salesman. That's why he came by. The sheriff yep. said, "Come by at your earliest convenience." This is my earliest convenience, yep. which seems like so long. I know. But in the actual timeline of the show, it's like three it's, days. That's true. Yeah, it's not that much time. But um, but yeah, also, it's, you're like, oh, he's come to confess. He's come to drop crazy information. No, just here. I just told <laughs> here, the sheriff you know, I'd you know, find him some shoes. Yep. Um, and Lucy is super weirded out by the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, if Lucy had been calm, the whole scene would have played out as the most innocuous thing. But since it's Twin Peaks and since yep, David Lynch yep. is directing it, just have her be uneasy about oh, the yeah. entire no, thing. A lot of things that happen in Twin Peaks, you you have to sort of infer whether they're weird or not in the world of Twin Peaks based on how other people react to them. Yep. Because it doesn't always but map to how The show is so respond. good at that, though. It uses that oh, yeah, so often for all yes. sorts of ways of yep. just you in as the audience, sure. sort of your sympathetic response to a character in the scene mm-hmm. guides your emotional reaction to the scene so strongly, especially mm-hmm. in like, I think especially in the David Lynch episodes, but yes, like, I think so too. Yeah. We talked about that a lot with the Tibetan rock throwing stuff in the third Definitely. episode about yes. just, yep. Yeah. The stuff know. that is not directly on the page is always strongest in a Lynch directed episode, yeah. which is not surprising, right? I mean, he's a yeah. great director. Um, so, uh, we get, uh, Truman listening to the tape from Jacoby's place with right. James um, James believes the mystery man that we've heard about was someone else, not Leo or Jock, which, you know, is not surprising at this point, given all the other. Right. But that it, have been... his his reason, though, is crazy, though, yeah, because of right. Laura it's... asking if he wants to play with fire. Right. Because she says, because F-I-R-E she says you on really the tape. my fire. Yeah. And then he said, Laura, um, she asked... says, would you like to play with fire, little boy? Would you like to play with Bob? Yeah. Which I mean, this is another thing in this episode that is just such a clear it doesn't move things forward necessarily, but it, it it's concretizes just, it's, it's, something it's in a, a really extreme way. It's basically like way. a head-on auto accident of yes. the real world and the dream world. Just well, like, and, and also just connecting threads that have been very vague. Yes. You know? Well, like Laura knows on some mental level. Like, I mean, that the, her, her saying that weird sort of poetic thing to Bobby, like you almost imagine that with her eyes glazed over, not entirely right. being present as yeah, she's yeah, saying yeah. it, but it... it it yeah, it obviously a hundred percent connects. Laura on some level is aware of Bob. Cooper yep. is aware of Bob. Mm-hmm. Sarah Palmer has a vision of yep. Bob. Like, and, and this comes after we've just seen Mike again for the first time in a while. Yep. Uh, and so you know, it, we, it definitely feels like this whole thread, which hasn't gotten as much attention. Yeah, but it's tightening for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, where did you find? Oh, the other half of the yeah. necklace. <laughs> right. It was in Jacoby's office. It was in a, in a coconut. coconut. <laughs> so good. Just yep. Also, Cooper just arrives and just demands the necklace immediately. Yeah, it, that was really great because it feels like um, the way he sort of oh, yeah. plays like, it off. Where's the necklace? Yeah, but it's it it's as. Am I reading it wrong? It feels like he sort of. It was almost on accident that James happened to have it. 
Yeah, but maybe Cooper thought that he had it the entire time. He did. That's what I mean. But oh, right, because James, James had it, had it the buried whole time. it. Jacoby took it. Yeah. Then James got it exactly. back just so in time for so Cooper James to be like, prove like, me right. What? <laughs> yeah. James is like totally baffled by this because there's actually no reason he should have it at this point. Right. But well, Cooper wouldn't never have known that it got lost and all exactly. other things. Right. Like, Cooper's yeah, yeah, yeah. just like, oh, James is back. Yeah. Where's that I'll necklace? Take it. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> James is like, my whole season one was getting this necklace yeah. back. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, so Donna shows up at the sheriff's office. With Laura's sunglasses. Oh, wait, sorry. One thing oh, sorry, that we have to do, because when, yeah, when James says it was in Jacoby, oh, where was the necklace? Because Cooper the whole time is like, it's James's has it. Then James is like, it was in Jacoby's office in a in coconut. A, a then coconut. Cooper's like, Jacoby? Right. I don't think he had anything to do with this at all. Yeah, that's what so, I'm saying. That's, right. that's my point. Like, no, I, but I love, like, Cooper actually says that. He's just like, what? Right. Jaco- Sometimes you just get lucky. Like, I, like, yeah. yeah. But he was so decisive in asking James for the necklace. Right, but, that's what I think is so funny about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man. Cooper. I just I'd forgotten until I just reread that James when James says that it was in Jacoby's office, Cooper is just like <laughs> Yep. He's just so he's just ecstatic that yeah. that that other weird like it's just it's you just never hear Cooper be that baffled by something, but like oh, yeah. also happy that he was baffled by it. Right. Like, <laughs> I had well, no idea that, yes. that guy you know, like yes, oh for sure. It's a reminder that he's not confident all the time out of sort of false bravado. He's confident most of the time because most of the time he's correct or knows how correct he can be with the information he has and so having him just totally fail to to have pieced something together or been aware of something at all Right, he intuits james has the necklace but he has no idea that there's this whole other crazy thread right well and again that intuition is really only right on accident yeah uh so anyway so um moving on to to donna she shows up at the sheriff's office with laura's sunglasses oh the best donna also yeah it's so weird I, i think it's i'm it was i forgot about this and it was a surprise um I love it. As she, yeah, no, it's great. As she walks into the sheriff's office, there's like a wolf whistle. Yeah. I can't figure out where it comes from. Is it like a weird non-diegetic element? That, or is it just as an off-screen police it, officer yeah, being a sleaze? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was really wondering what the, if there was a, a clear source of that of that sound. God, she's trying so hard to be so cool. I know. She's really laying it on thick. Uh, it's pretty funny. And so she, she goes and, and uh, sees James. And there's this great sort of very kind of film noir femme fatale exchange where he asks, or she's, you know, he asks about her smoking and she says, I smoke every once in a while. Helps me relieve tension. When did you get so tense? When I started smoking. Just, just a total, like. That also is just Mark Frost stumbling over himself to get those oh, lines yeah, onto the for page. Sure. It's a total writer's line, right? It's, yeah. it's a ridiculous, like no one in life has that exchange. Um, James is also kind of overwhelmed by how hard she's pushing this new oh, yeah. thing. He's just like, because she like slams that smushy kiss on him through the bars, and uh-huh. he's just like, "Yep, yeah, no." She lays it on real thick. Man, he doesn't know what to do. Nope. The thing that I think is, well, there, there's not the thing, but Donna's whole puts on the sunglasses, starts smoking aggressively, and just like acts really aggressive and sexual and forward and mm-hmm. sort of puts on this feeling of i get what i want i know what i want type yeah, of person Horn kind of front. Yeah. yeah it's the thing that i thought was kind of interesting about it is i kind of it feels it feels so fake and insane but at least within the world of twin peaks if she just did this for three weeks it would entirely consume who she is and she would become this yeah, like no, it's true. looking at That's her act act the way that she is you actually kind of think like one thing that I thought about with it was Laura Palmer could have potentially had the life that she had 
in part because she just did what Donna's doing right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. but then kept doing it for so long that the world believed her, and then she right. had nothing else. Yeah, she just sort of subsumed it, basically. Yeah, yeah. or know. was subsumed by it. I yes. Suppose. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree. Uh. So we we then get Cooper. Cooper's got Indian his three years of Flesh World. This task, yeah. Uh, to find Teresa Banks in Flesh World, and. There's just a, just a totally classic. Uh, Lucy, Andy, I Lucy feel exchange. uncomfortable being in this situation with you. Yep. She, why? We're both professionals. And then she opens a magazine. And he goes, <gasps> <Yep>. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Um, so we then get uh, Dr. Hayward examining Jacoby and wondering if he's, if he's on something. Uh, and I think this is the first time we see this like very minor recurring motif. In this episode of this like gross the mystery gross food at the hospital, food. where Jacoby glances over and there's kind of this bubbling, weird, just disgusting goo, yeah, to his goop, yeah. <laughs> um, so Cooper and Truman arrive. Cooper asks him about the necklace. We get this whole like recounting again. I feel like we've heard twice. Yeah, Jacoby before. confirms everything that we've seen before. Yeah. Although it was nice for me to have it tied together that it was when he was following Leo. Um, like just getting the timeline like lined up a hundred percent. Like it's, yeah. it was things that I, that I knew, but it was nice to hear out of hearing it out of a character's mouth. But yeah, it was all information we knew. Jacoby took the necklace. It even flashed back to the footage of his hand, picking the yep. necklace up. Yep, yep. Can't resist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, he gives Jacoby sort of become, I guess for a while now has been the sort of principal communicator of Laura's interior life. All right. He gives more of that now. Death wish, suicidal. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she asked. Not maybe so much she, suicide, but maybe she allowed herself yeah, to be yeah, killed. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, we get we get your favorite thing of the Laura Palmer theme and the moment that it changes after he says no, but maybe she allowed herself to be killed, and then we move into the sort of like, uplifting. No, no. That oh, then it goes happy. It move into the uplifting part at that point. Okay, I maybe I didn't I write think, it down. Yeah. Um. Uh, we hear that that. Uh, the night Leo was killed, there was a peculiar, peculiar smell, um, like yep. oil scorched engine oil. That's a just a little detail in there. Um, so at this point, the a lot of what happens takes place in the hospital for a while. I feel like this sort of mid chunk of the episode, a lot of it is consumed with people visiting other people in, in the hospital, which may or may not be on purpose, but. Yeah, just you can't, the way it you, shook you, out. But it, you can't get more soap opery than a bunch of people yes, laid up in hospitals definitely. and comas I mean, and shot. It's clear that this was all designed to converge on this point because so many things reached a climax in the previous episode. Yep. But many, then they're all just put up in the hospital, which is the goofiest yeah, 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 thing. Yeah. I mean, it's you, not goofy, but they don't really address the fact that a town of this size probably is not equipped to have major disasters occur. Right. right. And with this many people all suddenly requiring emergency care. Yeah. We were talking about that when they did that sting operation and got, uh, got Jacques Renaud right. across the border. And it was like, that has got to be the biggest police action. Oh yeah. The Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department has seen in decades and now yeah. the hospital is just like whoa yep. multiple people have been shot yep. no there's only a mill burned down cooper was shot there's smoke inhalation the fire department even had a crazy like it's just yeah. all emergency services are going yep. crazy in twin peaks right now mm-hmm. um yeah multiple active crimes and murders being investigated <laughs> yep just woof. oh yeah because uh, then we we see uh bobby, bobby and shelly yeah this is kind of it feels like um Bobby's trajectory changes over the course of the episode, or at least his character sort of has opportunity for growth starting to be presented because like mm-hmm. he's way less of a cheeser in this scene with Shelly. He's still oh, a yeah. smarmy smarmer. For sure. 
but like yes. she's like what are you doing here what if anyone sees you and he says i don't care i don't actually care anymore like he it's mm-hmm. like the events of the previous episode yeah, of he... shelly almost being burned leo being shot in front of him i imagine they've had some impact on this like 17 18 year old mm-hmm. kid and there, there's also early in the scene the, when they first come in there's like there's a little thing they do that is i think one of the one of the first moments of actual chemistry that I buy between them where they sort of pull each other's hair. Oh yeah. It's this really tiny little thing, but every time they're together prior to this, at least to me, it just feels gross. It It feels gross. It just feels like a really stock TV. Yep sort of illicit romance thing where it's like, oh, I just can't wait to tear but your clothes off. this makes it seem like they actually like each other. Yeah, exactly. They sort of have fun in the way that people who actually like each other do yep. with each other, which is nice because their romance scenes to me were so canned and stupid. Yep. Um, and I actually buy that little moment there in a way that I never did before. Um, okay, so after this is... is uh, Oh, sorry. No, this is not the song. Oh, he is, no, he's, is... he's a skeevy skeezer at the end of this scene, though, and he just like looks under shelly's shirt and feels her up and declares her healthy yeah oh sorry it's his way hospitals are dangerous places with that that food people are trying to kill you like what yeah oh because leland was uh leland came and killed jacques renault in the hospital that same night oh yeah this hospital has just gone crazy Mm -hmm. um um so we get uh so i guess i love you too yeah right um this is where the point at which every all of these hospital scenes start sort of yep. slamming together because he leaves. Cooper notices him and wonders why he's here. Um, I was so infuriated that Cooper and uh, the sheriff didn't go look what room he came out of. Oh, that made me so mad. Oh, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then so, they run into Ed, who was here to see Nadine. Yeah, and this is a whole really touching thing, too, where yep. Ed kind of explains why he and Nadine are together, even though he and Norma were together all throughout high school. Um, and uh, they, what was it? Norma, Norma goes out on this just like weekend long kind of just little tiny fling with, with Hank. Hank and uh, Nadine was around. Ed just kind of, just kind of swept her up. Well, Ed gave, when Norma off. leaving made Ed just yeah. feel like he gave up. He's right. like, Oh, she left me. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, they have this sort of impulsive thing. They drive off. He proposes, um, Nadine, or, uh, they come Ed, back. Norma was like, Hank and I, that wasn't even a thing. Right. She's well, shocked. Well, also he shot out Nadine's. That's a separate thing. That's oh, their that's honeymoon. Thing, they come okay. back married. And right. then Norma's like, you're married. That the, the, the order of events is just right. like, yeah, it stacks true. as much as they could possibly make it stack. But yeah, then they go out on that honeymoon and then he shoots out Nadine's eye mm-hmm. and she doesn't care. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and then I, Norma marries Hank. Right. So then everyone is, Everyone is sad and married. Yep. <laughs> That's a little interlude we get. And then Cooper sees this sort of distended black bag hanging above a sink, a man in a smiling bag. Yep. Um, oh, one just cheesy kind of goofy thing about that entire thing is Ed tells that story. And it, it was like, it was, it was the most like tragic chain of events that you could possibly put together. But it was, it was still, it was really touching and it was oh, totally, like, absolutely. But Albert leaves to go get coffee. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the scene, it's revealed that leaving to go get coffee was literally just walking three feet across the hall. Right. So he and heard the entire like, scene and then scoffed at it like smirking. a big ass. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. like, man, yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that the, the spatial relations of that until it just cut to be like, oh, he's actually just as far yep. uh, as far from <laughs> Ed as you are from me eyesight. right now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, and um, Cooper sees a smiling bag. Cooper sees a smiling bag. There's this little moment 
this total gag that the Twin Peaks so rarely does this kind of gag, which is really common on comedic television shows, where an, an unnamed doctor walks by and says, nurse, I really mean it. You better speak to that kitchen. Like, presumably referring to this ongoing food gag yep. that's been happening through the episode. And then Pete smells the food and just loses it. And puts his oxygen mask back on yeah, again. Yep. So that's that's the capper on that. Yeah. Um, Norma visits Shelley, offers to bring her pie, sees that with Nadine, that kind of, you know, calls back to all that stuff. So next up, this is the scene I was thinking of before that is my absolute favorite scene in this episode. I think it's amazing. Um, Bobby is at the Double R Diner, just back to looking like a total ass, just the just Wait. looking like the smarmiest shit. He's with his dad now, right? So, or is, does his well, dad he, walk he, up? He is his dad is there and invites him over to the table right. and asks him about school. And, uh, you know, his dad, what is it that you do exactly? And his dad just says, that's classified. But then he says, Bobby may share something with you. And I, I transcribed this entire scene because I'm not going to read the whole thing. Cause it's long, but it's just this amazing, incredibly lyrical description that his father has of this, this very, um, sort of stately dream he has about, uh, being on this vast estate, a palazzo of some fantastic proportion, as he calls it, which is an, an, just a great phrase that is yep. simultaneously. Uh, the thing that is so great about Major Briggs, I think, is that he's a man who is very buttoned up and in a certain sense, but also clearly sort of in touch with his feelings in a way that you don't. That, that the stereotypical version of this character is not. I mean, he's right. not he's, he's sort of he's, oversharing. Uh, right, but he's very, like, internally contemplative. Exactly, right. He's very reflective and self-aware. Yeah. Uh, even though he's not a kind of just, like, clearly um, approachable, uh, outgoing person. Right. It's a really interesting combination of traits that I really I, love. I love him. He is he's, he's one of my favorite characters on the show, yeah, actually. Yeah, because he's just so different than other characters on this show or on television generally, I think. Yeah. It's a really interesting portrayal of a kind of person who feels like he has the exterior trappings of a man of his generation with some of the kind of spiritual self-awareness that you associate with, like, the following generation. You know, it's right. a it's a interesting combination of things i think right like he and jacoby would never actually get along but they might secretly like uh, he actually comes from a more genuine version of what jacoby sort right. of hopes to have yeah, yeah, yeah. as his inner life it's yes um and so anyway he ends this this recounting of a dream by saying uh, returning to the house's grand foyer there came a knock at the door my son was standing there he was happy and carefree clearly living a life of deep harmony and joy we embraced warm and loving embrace nothing withheld we were in this moment one. My vision ended. I woke with a tremendous feeling of optimism and confidence in you and your future. That was my vision of you. And then Bobby just replies, really? And at that moment, it's not clear whether Bobby is saying, is, whether like, that's did a genuine he, did reply he buy it? or yeah. whether he's going like, really? This shit that you're giving me? Because, yep. you know, it's Bobby. Um, but he's clearly, his dad says, I'm so glad to have this opportunity to share it with you. I wish you nothing but the very best in all things. And Bobby is just totally overcome yep. by this. He's com like blindsided well because he's obviously. had he's he's had a very tumultuous and distanced weird relationship with his dad so for oh, his yeah. dad to just say this crazy genuine outpouring of stuff also i love that it ends with them shaking hands yeah i know like, oh man yeah. well that gets to the exact kind of dichotomy that i was getting at right in terms of the sort of outward values versus the um ability to 
yep. to share in this kind of extremely forthcoming way. Um. Anyway, uh, God, this scene, I just love that scene so much. So Norma gets back, doesn't want to talk to Hank, oh, of course. There's one weird thing at the end of this. What's that? Which is that it ends with Hank saying, uh, oh, no, wait, what is it? No, it's Hank asked the major how was the pie, but then... Um, oh, right. Norma then, comes in, says, uh, and Hank says, how is Shelly? Norma says, I can't talk right now. Mm-hmm. And then Hank and Bobby, like, share this, like, what right. can you do, well, shrug? Bo- well, I thought that was Bobby recognizing Hank as the one who shot Leo. No, because Hank doesn't know... Oh, right. Hank... Bobby recognizes Hank as the one who shot Leo, but Hank gives Bobby a, like, woman, what can yeah, like, you do <laughs> about him look? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, which is also... Uh, it's just this another one of those weird combinations of people that don't actually intersect but now are so tightly interconnected that right. hank is asking norma about shelly who's bobby's secret girlfriend bobby saw hank kill leo bobby has no connection to hank and hank has no connection to bobby so to, to hank bobby's just a random patron who overheard his right. like his little like uh how is shelly can't talk right now says your wife and then like blah, 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 my wife huh yep yeah oh man but it's it's so weird because that's also a combination like a conversation about Bobby's current flame who he was just visiting and yes. it's just like Bobby yeah. must just be like what, what yeah. is what happened to me right but, then but I'm right in thinking though right that that Bobby does in fact recognize Leo from that moment yeah because it actually yeah. he recognizes Hank and that is reinforced by this episode cutting to yeah. him seeing his, his memory of seeing Hank right okay yes yeah. it's yeah, very yeah. clear yes okay yeah, yeah. but right, from right. Hank's perspective like just that is a totally just, oh yeah it's a very it's a it's a as one of those two arcs run over each other it's really in a strange one way yeah, yeah. um so anyway we, we we go back to the sheriff's apartment we get one of their ridiculous donut spreads oh, they hyped this up too because cooper's like i'm ready to, like the, it, a couple scenes before he was like i'm ready to lay it all out i'm just gonna need a blackboard donuts that goes without saying it's yeah. just like <laughs> that's like the twin peaks version of like the strapping up montage apparently is mm-hmm. like you know that cooper's gonna lay stuff out in a david lynch episode if there's a big blackboard and some donuts i guess yep. Um, I don't. I don't know if we need to necessarily recount everything about this scene, no. but there was just a a very beat by beat, very detailed reconstruction of the events of the night of the crime. Yep. Um, in a, it's very specific and very like meticulous. Yep. And again, I thought it was thrilling just to watch those guys just be awesome at the investigation and roll through it. But then the uh, it all sort of boils down to. There being a third man outside the cabin who took Laura and Ronette from the cabin to the mm-hmm. train car, and also the observation that that third man was so intent on killing Laura that he didn't notice that Renette had escaped. Right. Yes, uh, and then it pans over the the stoplight or over the donuts, and then crossfades into the Twin Peaks uh, stoplight shot because mm-hmm. they can't resist. Yep. Um, and that's and that's where, uh, there's also when you, uh, this is the scene where they get the moment you were referring to earlier where Truman. Says Laura Palmer is dead. Chakrano is dead. Renat and Leo. Oh, also Andy. Andy dead. is totally destroyed by this whole thing and oh, starts yeah. crying over Laura's crime scene photo. Like just this mm-hmm. whole thing overtakes yeah, and him. And he's just totally destroyed. And then uh, Albert mocks him. Albert's a piece of crap. It's what mm-hmm. we call a three hanky crime. And then Andy just tells him to shut the fuck up, basically, and yep. leaves. And Lucy like has a little moment of like, oh, maybe he's all right after all. <laughs> yep. But yeah, that's then Laura Palmer's dead. Chakrano is dead. <laughs> I love, ah, I said it already before, but I love it. Renette Pulaski and Leo Johnson are in comas. And then there's just like a beat. Waldo is dead. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. Waldo was a legitimate lead, but mm-hmm. also he's yep. also been murdered. So good. Anyway. 
Um, so then we catch up with Pete. Uh, he's at home with uh, Truman. Um, there's a note from Josie saying, I had to leave town in an emergency of business to Seattle. Um, there's the tiniest red this. herring. I, she does this. She goes to S- Seattle to indulge in a secret vice. And I was like, oh, is she having shopping. an affair or something? Shopping. <laughs> Comes back with half an apartment store. Yeah. Yep. And then we don't, haven't heard from Catherine. Or haven't yeah. Found Pete's Catherine all yet. Pete's really beat up about Catherine. She's mm-hmm. plain hell to live with. But one, but but once there was a little bit of heaven there too. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Oh, and then we get into what is, I guess, obviously the birth of a new story arc. I guess the dumb one. Yep. <laughs> when a random man calls for Josie from the Great Northern, he hangs up. And then makes a call to Hong Kong. Yep. Ba-na-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> yep. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's um, probably it's probably a good storyline. Oh, maybe. Uh, so anyway, back uh, we we're here then with Ben and Jerry um, returning from One Eyed Jacks. Jerry like as he does sort of. They're talking about food, and everyone walking by is like Mr. Horn, Mr. Horn, yeah, right, Mr. Horn, Mr. Mr. Horn, Mr. Horn, yeah. That was such a funny thing. Yeah, uh, and also, uh, yeah, Mr. Horn, Mr. Horn, over and over again. I Eventually, know. just makes their name sound like yep. they're a character from Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> um, uh, ben hasn't heard from Andre recently. Sure. Um, Hank is, as people love to do in this room, Hank is waiting for them in a dark room <laughs> uh, lit by the fire. <laughs> yep. People just love waiting for Ben Horn in this room. In that room looking ominous as fuck. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Hank updates the horns. Um, Josie's gone. Leo's in a coma. Catherine's probably dead. Leo was chopping wood. <laughs> that sounds like a weird nursery rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's that whole thing we mentioned earlier of Jerry being like, chopping wood inside? Yeah, you know, Leo. <laughs> and I like the I like the different ways that um, the horns, the various horns interact with their sort of flunkies Mm -hmm. uh including hank just being way hank is just much less cowed by them yeah than like leo when he's dealing leo's sort of resentful it's not that so much that he's sort of intimidated he's just more sour about everything whereas hank is kind of just uh you know leo and i'm not gonna give a shit about your doubt in my story and they're all also convinced that they can at the end of this that they can pin the arson on Catherine, Mm -hmm. who's they think is burned alive. That's they're like it's with a fire that hot. They'll be like if they, if they find teeth and Leo, who's obviously uh, complicit. Then Hank asks about the ledger and the horns. Say we'll take care of it or whatever. Yeah. Um, so then back at One Eyed Jacks, um, Audrey is chewed out by Blackie for her whole performance. The owner with, was uh, disappointed yeah, with Ben Horn. Um, they they go through this whole thing. She says, "Don't pull any of this shit ever again." Yep. And when this scene ends. This is such a strange thing to bring up, and it, I don't know if anyone cares. This scene ended with a fade cut that was so clearly meant to cut to a commercial. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember noticing that. You definitely notice it sometimes in this show. This was one of the most extreme versions of it I remember. It was just there's no way you would ever implement a cut like this right. unless you were cutting to a commercial. And it just reminded me, oh, right, this show was shown on television with multiple commercial breaks. Weird. You know, I've never seen it that way. I've only ever seen it totally uninterrupted. What a worse show it would be. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, that was just a strange, that was just a funny little moment. Nothing specific about this scene. It it just hit me stronger than it has before. Um, So Donna calls Norma, volunteers to take over Laura's Meals and Wheels route. Right. And Um, then this now, oh, she asks if you can use the station wagon. And mm -hmm. then this sort of takes us into 
the introductory gathering of the Hayward yeah, family supper a, club, which yeah. is a crazy scene. Yes, this was a totally bonkers scene. Um, there's there's one of the members of I guess the extended is it is she I think a that it might just or a cousin I I think that the, Donna might just have two sisters. Okay, so this is this and is this a, is a very good family that does everything and does it all very well. Apparently, like yes, all family those, activities, all yes. children's activities are excelled at. Right. in this family, apparently, yes, yes. man, she. Uh, Harriet re- Harriet Hayward, I guess, reads a poem about Laura, which is like it's a weird poem. It's a weird poem. It really, yeah, kind of dips into Twin Peaks. It, it, it dips into the kind of weird like side capital T, of capital Twin P, Peaks, Twin right? Peaks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she says it was Laura, and I saw her glowing in the dark woods. I saw her smiling. We were crying, and I saw her laughing. In our sadness, I saw her dancing. It was Laura living in my dreams. It was Laura. The glow was life. Her smile was to say it was all right to cry. The woods was our sadness. The dance was her calling. It was Laura and she came to kiss me goodbye. Then there's this creepy piano accompaniment like being played by Gersten Hayward on top of already the show's musical score. So the whole thing is this collision of just crazy... um, With everyone just kind of being distraught and Sarah Palmer being destroyed and... Well, so Leland is smiling, yeah, and Sarah yeah. is like harrowed by this. Yep. Um, and then Gersten plays a Mendelssohn thing, and the camera sort of pans around the it's table. It's a weird, like, handheld yeah, shot. It's unusual it's really for this show. I thought it was very strange. Yeah, I did too. Um, Donna and Maddie are catching up about Meals and Wheels, and uh, oh, there's this whole thing. Anyway, they go through a bunch of stuff, and then Leland says i feel like singing come on everybody oh, someone, happy. Him, someone just someone finally does say leland what happened yeah, to your that's hair Dr. hayward says that oh yeah and then he yeah. says oh just changed overnight yep yep i feel a great deal of sadness was lifted from my heart he says he's turned so, a corner somehow right so yeah. he he starts singing against the accompaniment of gerson on piano and he's going you know come on everybody get happy and he just starts singing fat. of course he can't do anything without just turning it into the most amped up insane stressful version of itself because yep. everyone's happy at first he's like they're like oh man maybe he's doing all right yeah like people looking happy but then he just like you almost imagine smoke is going to start coming out <laughs> right. of him from like well yeah and then he totally collapses yeah yeah Ugh. oh yep. no then he he wakes up and he just doesn't he say i feel happy i feel happy i feel happy begin the begin yep. yeah oh yeah oh man <laughs> um so we get a little moment of cooper back in his hotel room catching diane up um and then he, when he signs off, he says, I thought I saw a giant in my room. This is me, Dale, room 315 at the Great Northern Hotel signing off. And I thought it was interesting that he yep. just says Dale and not Agent yep. Dale Cooper or anything like that. Um, which then, which we then cut to oh, Audrey did? praying to special agent uh, from the, from the, uh, from One-Eyed Jacks. Yep. Um, she's totally distraught. I left my note. Didn't you get my note? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a bummer. And then, of course, the camera just pans down to the note. They can't resist. Man, yep. if this show... When the show comes back for Netflix, there's no way that that is going to be a stylistic choice. All the weird cuts just to visually remind you of clues. It's so much of it has to just be reminders because yeah, we're... it's a television. It's, it's what yeah. you do on television. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that, that stuff is much less necessary now in general. Yep. Um, so we're back in Cooper's room. The, uh, the giant is back and he says... Sorry you know, to wake you. To I forgot something. to tell you something. <laughs> yeah. um, so this is another combination as earlier of sort of cryptic clues, you know, a path is formed by laying one stone at a time, and then very direct, factual things. One person saw the third man. Three have seen him, yes, but not his body. Well, not his body. One only known to you, ready now to talk. One more thing, you forgot something. Um, 
Yep. So and Cooper says what, and then a weird light is sent into Cooper. I don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what that was. Yeah. And then back at the hospital, the lights are flickering, and we get this incredibly long hallway shot with the camera sort of slowly dollying down yep. it. Um, in Renette Pulaski's room, she remembers the cabin, and and this is like a really intense flashback. Bob laughing maniacally, um, Laura screaming, you know, firewalk with me, and then the episode ends with Bob howling just yep. crazily. Also, so that all like man, watching this entire episode, I guess I have no idea. I have no way to place myself in the mental state of a person who watched this in 1990. Yeah, but if I had been watching Twin Peaks like now, if this was a show that was on now, and that was the opening of the season two finale, and it was the first time that I was watching it, mm-hmm. I would have been like the most ultimately satisfied (laughs) for like season one ends. I'm like, where's the show going? I really liked some of the weird stuff with the, with the room and the, like, it seems like there's all these, this crazy stuff going on. And then this episode, just like the dual spikes of the complete insane, like dream world stuff and the intensity with which, like the ferocity with which they, they achieve things in the investigation. They're just huge. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's happening in, in parallel. And, no more like like the final like few shots of this whole thing is like Cooper lays out the case. Uh Cooper has that crazy vision with the giant. We see a flashback to the actual murder of Laura Palmer. Like mm-hmm. you just so much stuff happens. Like they outline the entire timeline and then you see Renette Pulaski's vision of like her memory of what that event was like. I mean, you don't see it in like an investigatory way, but you like Yeah, but we're just getting it's so dense. Like we yeah, get we get so much stuff. I like I, I can understand why you, th- you would just go, this is weird. This is not what I wanted. This is a billion other things. But like, oh, I love it so much. Oh, it's so good. This I was so happy episode. to watch this episode. Yeah, also, it was a 90-minute episode, which was just I great. You just, yeah. oh, man, just keep, it just keeps going. Yep. And then all throughout the the, the credits, there's Gersten Hayward playing the blues on the piano. Like a little boogie-woogie <laughs> oh, song. Yeah. yeah a weird <laughs> choice. My mental imagining of that was just that actor saying, "I could play other songs." They're just playing I know, that. That was what I that was what I assumed. It was. Was like, my, assumption keep it rolling. Was that, my assumption was that that actress was probably not too far from the character she portrayed. Yep. This kind of like kid whose parents like this, have you have to take classical piano lessons. You have to learn how to play right. this sort of thing. Learn to play this for this TV show that we got you cast yeah. on. And then she's like, in between takes, like, okay, cool. Because that's the sort of music you play when you know how to play the piano as a kid and you want to just like play yep. a wacky song for right. someone. Yep. <laughs> you roll around on a cheesy boogie blue scale. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that, man. That's season two uh, premiere. Yeah. It, it was, it's such a hard episode to recap because it's so long and so much stuff happens. I feel like, it, Yeah this episode was kind of all over the place running through it, but that's just because the episode, the episode itself was so all over the place, but man, it got me so pumped to watch season two and we'll see how that goes. Cause the other thing, well, we can talk about it later, but just the little beginnings of some of these threads that are like new story arcs. Mm -hmm. They're the new story arcs that I wish were not included in the TV show, but We'll find out about those probably uh, in the next couple of episodes. Yep. Um, I don't think we need to do a lot of spoiler stuff for reader mail in this episode, right? I mean, I feel like there was so much information. Do you have spoiler stuff? Think about that. I don't think that I do. I don't think. I don't think that I do. Okay. Well, here's just one little email that I thought was kind of interesting. Cool. Um, not related even to this episode, but uh, 
Aubrey Rowe writes, I've been enjoying watching Twin Peaks with my husband who introduced me to both Twin Peaks and Idle Thumbs. I know you talked a bit about the horns behind Hank's head being a blunt or weird reference to him being the devil. However, there's another symbolic meaning to a man with horns, that of the cuckold. Uh, since Norma is stepping out with Big Ed, she's made a cuckold of Hank and he is wearing the horns, in quotes. I'm sure Lynch and Frost love the goofy double symbolism. Love the show, Aubrey. Oh, good. Yeah. That's, that's just a little thing that I would, I would not have known. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, uh, let's see, um, a reference to something I said last week. Uh, Anthony Hinton says, really enjoyed the show. Just wanted to mention that Chris referred in the introduction last week to The Prisoner being one of those shows that ran for years and years and was confused by why it would be an example of a show that would lead the audience to expect the Laura Palmer mystery to be solved in the first season. I think they're referring to the British show The Prisoner, uh, which was created by and starred Patrick McGowan, which aired for just one season, 17 episodes in 1967-1968. He goes to explain The Prisoner. Yes, I totally misspoke. I was actually referring to The Fugitive. Yeah, that's the one they reference in the actual yeah, TV. that was the one they the referred to. Broadcast. That's the one I was thinking of. I've actually seen the the whole run of the original The Prisoner, and it's great. Uh, it's yeah, it is it is just one season, and it's really really cool. And if if you like, I don't want to say it directly overlaps with Twin Peaks. It doesn't really, but if you like a television show that contains a lot of weird things, but is like in the moment to moment fairly like naturalistic. Um, that's, that's one. Yep. You can check it out. No. So yeah. sorry for that, that mistake. I, I, I technically knew what I was talking about. I just didn't say the yep. thing that I meant. Um, do you want to call it on that? Yeah. Oh, thank- and oh. then finally one more thing. Oh, um, the Dr. Jacoby Izum, uh, Jared Emerson Johnson writes, Oh yeah. Quoting you. I think I always thought that the sound effect on Jacoby's Izum was vaguely representative of his heart since he's having a heart attack. No. Yeah. Cause I mentioned, when we were talking about that last episode, that there was something that I wanted to say about that, and I couldn't yeah, remember what it was, and it was that. But then uh, Jared, who's my friend who actually introduced me to Twin Peaks, said, just sent me an IM because he had listened to the episode and said, oh, the that is probably the sound of his heart because he's having a heart attack. And I went, no, oh, of course, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for putting up with our, our uh, tardiness on, on this yeah, episode. Hopefully not too many of you are ahead of the game on this. I know it's... It's strange in 2014, soon to be 2015, to watch a TV show that is old and available yeah. digitally once once a week. I know we've heard from some people that are like, I couldn't resist, and they just yeah. blasted past and mm-hmm. now just don't listen to the podcast anymore. But I know, sorry, we made you wait two weeks. It's better than four months, which is also already a short-ass period mm-hmm. of time to yeah. wait for a TV show to come back. But anyway, yeah. sorry that it was two weeks. Um, we'll be back next week with episode 10 probably named something dumb um yep all right you can find us on twitter at peaks rewatch on facebook at facebook.com slash twin peaks rewatch on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash twin peaks rewatch um you can reach us by email if you have a comment on uh episode 10 to share with us for next week's uh, episode at twin peaks at idlethumbs.net and as always if you like the show please tell a friend. That's the only way we have to spread awareness of this show is word of mouth. And uh, if you do enjoy it, consider leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes. In the tradition of these names being either the worst or the most innocuous, Mm -hmm. next episode's name is Coma. (laughs) Also, it's directed by David Lynch, which I totally forgot. All right. Um, Cool. So get ready for that. Looking forward to it. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, Chris.